Well, can I uh, encourage you to make your way back to your seats and join me in taking out your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. I just want to encourage us, before we read the Word this morning, I just want to encourage us that the Lord is here with us today to meet with us, right? The Lord has good in store as we as we open his word, as we submit our hearts to him. And, and he, wants to, he wants to encourage you this morning. He wants you to be blessed this morning. And, and that's why we, we have this portion of our service. It can, we have a pattern and it can, everything can perhaps get rote. But I just want to encourage us together. As we open God's word, the blessing of God comes to his people when... His word is opened. And so just a reminder that this morning the Lord, the Lord loves you. And he wants you to hear the word because he wants to bless you. And he wants to encourage you today. So may we be encouraged as we turn to the word of the Lord. Again, Matthew 5, uh, for the sake of those who are joining us as our guests, we are taking uh, this summertime to walk Slowly and deliberately through the Beatitudes of Christ. What are the Beatitudes? The Beatitudes uh, of Christ are the, they're His teaching on what life is like within the kingdom of God. So Jesus here, He's teaching the broader context is He's teaching the Sermon on the Mount. But he's teaching specifically his disciples. There are others that were there, but he's teaching his disciples. In other words, those who had already called him Savior and Lord. He's not laying down. I just want this to be super clear. He's not laying down in the Sermon on the Mount character qualities that you've got to achieve in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. No, uh, what we do to enter the kingdom of heaven is recognize our own poverty of spirit. We, we recognize that we need a savior. So he's not teaching and saying, Hey, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, here's, here are all the hoops that you have to jump through. No, it's not a moralistic teaching. Rather, he is saying, if you have received Jesus Christ, if you are one of the children of God, then this will be what your blessed kingdom life is going to look like. So then he describes in these verses what true blessing actually is, what true life in the kingdom is like. See, every kingdom has a king, right? If it's a kingdom, well, there's got to be a ruling and reigning king. And the kingdom of God is when our lives are lived in submission to the king. And God, by his grace, changes our hearts. When we're born again, he, he changes our hearts. He gives us new desires. He gives us different realities. As we look at life ahead of us, we want to live for our king as we're part of his kingdom. So... So what we're about to read is the description of what life is like in the kingdom of God. And I want to preface our time in the Word by saying, again, these are not the qualifications. These are what it looks like for God's children. We're reading now from Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down... His disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father, we have just been addressed by Jesus Christ, your eternal Son. These are His words and We take them into our heart. We open our hearts now to you, God. We pray that you would move in our hearts by your Holy Spirit, causing us to believe even greater these words that your Son spoke to us. He has defined for us what is the blessed life. And so I pray for myself and my friends that you would open our hearts to this word as we look at verse 5 today. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Speaking of a scene that occurred just hours before the crucifixion of Christ, pastor and theologian Kent Hughes writes the following. Two men faced each other on the pavement before the governor's palace. One was Jesus Christ, a man of meekness. In fact, the meekest man who ever lived. The other was Pontius Pilate, a man of extraordinary pride. Jesus appeared as the epitome of weakness. He appeared that way. A poor Jew caught in the tides of Roman history, frail, impotent, a man destined to be obliterated from the earth. Pilate was the personification of Roman power. The tide of history was with him. As part of Rome, he was heir to the earth. Two figures are at opposite ends of a paradox. Jesus Christ, the prisoner was in fact the free man. He was in absolute control. Jesus, the meek, would not only inherit the earth, but the universe. On the other hand, the governor was the prisoner of his own pride. He could not even control his own soul. He had no inheritance. Things aren't always as they appear to be. In this case, what would appear to be ultimate strength was in fact no strength at all. Pontius Pilate was in fact the one who was incredibly weak. 
He was ruled by his own pride and his own fear of others' approval. He did not possess, in fact, strength. He was incredibly weak. He did not endure. He was, in fact, amounted to nothing. And contrary to that, what appeared at least to observers on the outside to be weakness was the mightiest man that ever walked the face of the earth. Now this mightiest man who ever walked the face of the earth, he had the appearance of weakness. People were not drawn to Jesus, but there he stood, beaten by others, a crown of thorns thrust on his head, not defending himself before incessant questions, but humbly and meekly entrusting himself to God. He is the one that would endure. He is the one that had life. He is the one who would reign and will reign and always is to reign. This one who appears so meek, so lowly, so gentle. Things are not always as they appear to be. And upon reading the Beatitudes, I wanted to read them in full again this morning because they're so shocking to our modern sensibilities, aren't they? I find them continually shocking because if we really believe that these things are true, they are going to, in an ongoing way, continue to define our lives lived in the kingdom. I mean, think about this. Jesus calls blessed those who are poor in spirit, not the mighty. Jesus calls blessed those who mourn, not the ones who are giddy. Jesus calls blessed the meek, not those who grab the power, not those who take possession, not those who show their strength and dominate. Those are the ones that Jesus calls blessed. That's not the world that you and I inhabit. In other words, our culture says and declares to us the very opposite. What does our culture say? I mean, if our culture had some beatitudes, they might read like, blessed are the wealthy. Blessed are the powerful, the influencers, the self-confident, those with a great online following. Those are the ones in our culture's estimation who are blessed. And so when we read these Beatitudes, I don't know about you, but they're so shocking to me that I need them in my life. I need these reminders of what true blessing actually looks like. Because the air that I breathe and the air that you breathe does not teach us this. It teaches the opposite. So here's where we've been. If you're just joining us this morning, two weeks ago, we began the series by looking at the first beatitude. What does it say? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And we said that this beatitude was the starting point. In fact, all the other beatitudes flow out of being poor in spirit. So Jesus says, blessed are you when you realize your own inability to attain to the standard that God has set before us. At one point, 
in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to those who are listening, to his disciples, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, how in the world could we attain to that measure of perfection? Well, we can't. And that's intended to drive us to a place of need. And Jesus says, blessed are those who see that. Blessed who are poor in spirit. Again, that doesn't mean hanging our head and walking around in condemnation. It means that we recognize that apart from Christ, we can accomplish nothing of any spiritual value. And that we need Christ in every day. So that's part of what it means to be poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit is the opposite of pride in self. To be poor in spirit is to shudder at the thought of self-glory and to enjoy and relish the thought of the glory of Christ. To be poor in spirit is to not rejoice in your own accomplishments, but to rejoice in the accomplishments of your Savior who has made you and has redeemed you. That's part of what it means to be poor in spirit. It's to be overwhelmed by the grace that God has shown to us. Regularly, daily, overwhelmed by that grace. To be poor in spirit is to live in a way that is very different from the kingdom of this world, which celebrates strength and self-assuredness and doing your own thing. This is about as opposite as it gets. And Jesus says to us, blessed are the poor in spirit. Last week, we saw and heard, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be Comforted. Again, this seems almost like a great contradiction. You might say, Jesus, did you, did you get that right? Blessed are those who mourn. Remember we talked about how this word blessed could also legitimately be translated happy. Not, not some fleeting thing, but, but a general disposition. It could be happy are those who mourn. Now, again, apart from Christ, you'd say that sounds ridiculous. Happy are those who mourn. But, but this is the kingdom of God. See, because something wonderful happens, doesn't it? When we mourn over our sin. When we become aware of our sin. When we mourn over it. As the Spirit enables us to weep over our sin. Then we're also aware of the fresh grace that is given to us in the gospel. And that grace washes over us with great mercy. So how could it be that, that those who mourn are blessed? Because in our mourning, our mourning turns to joy because of the gospel. Our mourning turns to, to great joy because we remember that Christ has secured our righteousness in his death. So Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn And now this morning, we want to look at this third beatitude. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And by the way, as we get started on this, if you're looking for a great resource, if you want to study deeper into the Beatitudes, which I would just encourage all the more, uh, I would commend to you one particular work that has been very helpful to me in my own preparation. It's a a collection of sermons by Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, he was a uh, English preacher in the 1950s. Uh, he just has a way with uh, speaking these things about the Beatitudes. Uh, the title of his book is called The Sermon on the Mount. 
So if you want to Google it or look it up, I, I've just been helped, in fact, today as well, through this book. So let's, let's think about this together. What is, if Jesus calls the meek blessed, how can we define, scripturally define, meekness? Well, th- there's no one place that we can look, but as we survey the text of Scripture, uh, all of Scripture, I think we would agree together that meekness is strength under control. Meekness, another word that could, again, be used here, is gentleness. Meekness is having a, a view of self. Fundamentally, meekness is having a view of self that is rooted in the fear of God, right? That we understand who we are and we understand who God is. So, so meekness is having a view of self that is rooted in the fear of God, and once we grasp again our poverty of spirit and once we've mourned over our sin, then we are in a position to be meek. We are humbled by God. We are humbled as we participate with the Holy Spirit and surrender to the Lordship of Christ day by day. See, meekness, dear friends, meekness is a work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. He's the one that creates meekness as we our poor in spirit, as we mourn over our sin, as we celebrate the gospel, he creates a meekness in us that draws attention not to ourselves, but to Christ. It's living by the Spirit. It's living for Christ. It's living in such a way as to make much of Christ. Now, let me, let me say what, what I believe meekness is not. And you, you test what I say and See if you agree. Meekness is not a personality trait, like someone who is perhaps shy or uh, perhaps introverted. That, that's not necessarily meekness. Someone who is shy or introverted can be meek, but that having those characteristics doesn't mean that we are biblically meek. They're, they're not personality traits. Meekness is not um, indolence or being a really laid-back kind of person, like, hey, boy, that guy just goes with the flow. He's a, he's a peacekeeper at all costs. He, he doesn't ruffle any feathers. That guy's meek. No, that's, that's not the definition of biblical meekness, and I'll get to why in just a moment. But, but meekness isn't simply being laid-back about life. Meekness isn't being like laissez-faire, like, eh, let's see what happens, whatever. Meekness is not some outer manner. Meekness is compatible with great strength, but it's strength under the control of the Holy Spirit. It's strength that is under the lordship of Christ. Now, where can we look in Scripture to see examples of meekness? Let me name just a few to get us started. Think about Abraham for a moment, how he treated Lot. Do you remember? Uh, Abraham gave Lot the choice of the land that was before them, and Lot you know, chose the greater portion of the land, the greater, and, and Abraham just let him do that. He showed meekness in many ways through his life. Moses. Moses was declared to be the meekest man on the earth. And, and yet think about all of the possibilities that could have awaited him had he claimed his right as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But he denied all of that for the cause of the God that he loved. 
He denied all of that. He, he forsook the pleasures of sin for a season. He was, he was meek. Think about David with his long-suffering forbearance toward Saul. I mean, David was God's king. He was anointed, and yet Saul took a long time to figure that out. And, and as Saul pursued David, and as David had many opportunities, as you may remember, to, um, put, to put Saul asunder, he, he didn't take those opportunities. He was, he was meek. He was lowly. Think of Jeremiah, this prophet who, when other prophets were speaking easy words that people just wanted to hear, God called Jeremiah to speak a hard word. It was tough for Jeremiah. It cost him a lot. Yet he proclaimed the message of the Lord with boldness in humility, which is meek. Think of Stephen while he was being stoned to death, reflecting on the glory of God. Think of Paul who accomplished so much for the kingdom of God and yet considered himself to be the least of all the saints, the chiefest of sinners, this Paul who was reviled by some, even within the church, he did not revile back. Ultimately, dear friends, what I want to do for the next few minutes is hold up the person of Christ, Jesus Christ, the one who was ultimately meek. Remember Remember Jesus' sole self-description. Michael alluded to it this morning. And let's just think about this for a moment. The one place where he describes his character, one place in Matthew 11, he says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, here it is, for I am gentle. And lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus using these two words to describe himself. I am gentle and lowly in heart. And again that word uh, can be also translated meek within the range of. Uh, that we have. So meek and lowly. In fact, some other biblical translations call him meek and lowly. He is, he is the very definition of meekness. Now, let's think about this for the moment because, again, sometimes when we think about meekness, we can also think about weakness, right? It, when, you, when, when you conjure up an image in your mind of what meekness looks like, I think sometimes perhaps we have an image of weakness that comes to mind and, and that is so not the way Christ was. Christ, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, entered into the world not in great robes of scarlet into a palatial setting. No, he entered into the world, how? Meekly, born to a, a common lady, born into a carpenter's family, born as one of the sons of earth. He was the God-man. And this God-man, this creator of all things, came as a servant. With the youth this past week, we looked at John 13, where in the apex of his ministry, right before the cross, 
What did Jesus do to teach his disciples about how they're to live? He's just about to go to the cross. And what does he do? He gathers them together and he takes off his outer robe and he takes the posture of a servant. And he serves them and washes their dirty feet. Not that that particularly was the ritual that he asked them to do. No, but it was an example for them to follow, to say, here's what my people do. Here's what I'm doing, and this is the example to follow. Christ, the one who called all things into reality, now stooping down, washing the feet of the disciples. Jesus was gentle and lowly. He came as a servant. Mark 10.45 records for us Jesus' own words about himself. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We think about how he positioned himself throughout all of life. And by the way, the context in Mark 10 is that the disciples were arguing among themselves like who was the greatest. You know, James and John had come and said, hey, Jesus, when we're in heaven, can you sit one of us on your right and one of us on your left? And and they just, you know, they're like me. They were missing the point. And Jesus said, oh, look at what I've come to do. Look at my posture. I've come not to be served, but to serve. Jesus is gentle and he is lowly. Think about, think about the glory for all eternity past that he had in heaven with his Father and with the Holy Spirit. And he enters into the world. And how does he come he comes not declaring, hey, I'm the, I'm the son of God. Everyone fall down immediately, worship. No, he didn't count equality with God, Philippians 2 tells us, a thing to be held on to and proclaimed at every moment. He emptied himself. He came as one who is meek. He suffered persecution and scorn. He's, his submission to the will of his father was was not a drudgery or a duty. It was his delight. Jesus was happy for people to be pointed to his Father. Jesus was meek and lowly. And again, lest we think that his meekness was just weakness, listen to a few other examples of his meekness, his strength under control. Remember that time when the disciples were shooing away the kids, uh, like, hey, get away from him. He, he doesn't have time for you. What does the scripture tell us that he did? He rebuked his disciples. He rebuked them. That was a strong word. He's a meek one. But he rebuked them because they were doing the opposite of what he desired. He uh, Remember when he found money changers taking money in the temple? What did he do? He got out a cord of whips and went to work overturning tables. This is strength, yet under the control of God. He's not wimpy. Meekness is not equal with weakness. Remember the times when the Pharisees would lose the whole point of why they were there. Jesus healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath and they declared that that was so wrong. And his stinging rebuke, I won't read it, it's found in Matthew 12, 9 to 45, his stinging rebuke of them um, would have, I think, in many ways, humbled anyone who was in the room. 
See, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is God's strength under the control of the Lord. And I want to talk about this in a practical way because we are people who live, again, in a world where this is not what's celebrated in our culture. Let's just take your phone etiquette, for example. When you get a phone call and you take it and you don't want to take it, or let's actually, let me not use that example. Think of when you need to call Xfinity and when you've been on hold already for a half an hour. Where is meekness then? Does it mean we don't actually get to the point and say what we need to say? No, it means, and I've done this. I should say I've failed at this. It means that we trust the Lord even in the midst of a conversation that appears to be headed nowhere fast with someone that doesn't appear to have the authority to flip the switch that you need them to flip and you just desperately want them to flip the switch. Meekness trusts the Lord in that moment. Meekness doesn't say, well, okay, God's way didn't work here, so I'm going to start yelling at you so that I can get what I want. No, meekness is strength under the control of the Holy Spirit. Meekness is trusting in the Lord at all times. Think about Christ again. He trusted his Father and entrusted himself to him. Peter, when reflecting on the meekness of Christ, reflected this in 1 Peter 2. He said, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So now we're we're not talking about an Xfinity phone call. Now we're talking about when you and I are falsely accused. When our neighbors who know that we're Christians and we stand for Christ turn and now start spreading something about us that's untrue. When, when someone at work speaks something that's just not true about you and everything in you rises up and wants to self-defend. Meekness does not revile in return. Meekness entrusts themselves to him who judges justly. Ultimately, we want to see meekness in Christ. Think of him while suffering on the cross. <laughs> Bearing the scorn and the weight of my sins and your sins. Bearing the weight of the wrath of God. Being poured out upon him. Having never experienced anything but the favor of God in all of his life. And, and while he's suffering there with nails in his hands and his feet, physical suffering, spiritual agony, his father turned his face away from him. What does he say to the father in that moment? He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus, meek and lowly, One who has incredible strength under great control. Jesus, the one who is calling to us this morning to embrace a different way. 
To embrace a way that is not like the way of this world. To embrace the lowly way. To embrace strength under the control of the Holy Spirit. And dear friends, I, I, I confess to you again my, my own need for this. I, I struggle. I struggle at times in my own self-control. I need the Lord. And He is instructing my heart when in verse 5 He says, Jeremy, you want to know those who are blessed? This is who is blessed. Blessed are the meek. And I say, Lord, fill me with your spirit and help me to follow your way. Help me to yoke myself to Christ who wants to show me the way because he is gentle and he is lowly. And so he calls us, dear church, to this kind of meekness. So I I want to think with us together about some application points. We said earlier, I said earlier that, that meekness is the fruit of the Spirit of God within us. So He's the one that produces this meekness in us. But there are ways that we can cooperate with Him and participate with Him in that. And, and I just list, I want to list four characteristics. Again, you test these and see if you agree with them and see if they're biblical characteristics of meekness. Characteristic number one of meekness. A meek heart is a thankful heart. A meek heart is a thankful heart. One that cherishes the grace of Christ. Every day when I wake up, I seek, I don't always do this, I seek to make my soul happy in the Lord. Why? Because I want that day, in that day, for me to cherish Christ and what He's accomplished in my heart. So, I I try to stay near to my Damascus Road experience. When I was knocked off my high horse and Christ overwhelmed me by his grace. And so uh, I think the characteristic of a meek person is someone who is thankful. Someone who is thankful and enjoys and cherishes the grace of of the Lord day by day. Someone who is not impressed with themselves and their accomplishments, but impressed with Christ. Makes much of Christ. Celebrates that thankfulness. And that thankfulness comes off of their being, if you know what I mean. Being around someone who is truly Godward and thankful, it has effect on our hearts. May the Lord... Help our thankfulness to grow. And here's where I want to encourage you. Um, I had a visitor come to me a while back and say of our church, um, man, you guys, you guys seem to be thankful. The way that you sing, the way that you greet uh, others, it seems like you're really thankful. Now, this is somebody that I was just meeting for the first time. But they said there's something here about which you're thankful. I think we have a thankful church. I think that you all are walking in thankfulness for your Lord. But you know what I say to us, dear church? I think the Lord has more for us in being even more thankful. Captivated by a heart of thankfulness for all that Christ has done. And in so doing, as we remember the Lord, as we express our thankfulness to Him and to one another, we are walking in the meekness that He's intended for us. So that's one characteristic of uh, a meek heart. 
second characteristic that I see in Scripture is a trusting heart. So a heart that is meek is a heart that's going to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord when things aren't going the way you'd like them to go. See, sometimes when things go not the way we intend them to go, we, we don't trust the Lord. We take up our own strength and power and make things happen, right? It's like, well, this isn't going the way I want it to go, so I'm going to take the, the control of my life back and I'm going to make it happen. And how does that usually go for us? Yeah, I see your heads. They, they, they don't go well. When we, when we say, Lord, you apparently are not really paying attention or don't exactly know, so I'm going to make this of my own resolve and I'm going to do this on my own. Now, when I say meekness, by the way, I am not talking about inactivity, like that we just do nothing and say, I just trust the Lord. No, we actively place our faith and our trust in our Lord. It's not passive, but it is trust. So a, a meek heart is a trusting heart. A meek heart is not a retaliating heart. This gets right into your living room, doesn't it? Where you live. Because it's often the people who, with whom you live that can tempt you perhaps more than anyone else. And when they sin against you, whether in a small way or in a bigger way, we can be tempted to retaliate. And a meek heart trusts in the Lord and does not retaliate just like Christ did. A meek heart recognizes that God is in control and God will have the last word and we can trust the Lord. Therefore, we can walk in a trusting heart. Third thing, this will be brief. Um, I think, I believe from Scripture that a meek heart is a teachable heart. A meek heart is one that will be eager to grow, eager to learn. Um, a meek heart is not one who's a know-it-all, right? A meek heart doesn't, doesn't want you to know how much you know. They are eager to be taught. One that is not impressed with their own intellect, but one that is teachable by the Scripture. As you approach the Word of God day by day in your own reading of the Word, as we approach the Word of God here in the public preaching of the Word, this is part of the reason that we pray after we read the Word because we want to ask God to teach us. He is here to bless and He is here to encourage, but we need Him to do that by His Spirit's power. So we ask Him, Lord, teach us. Just like His disciples asked Him, Lord, teach us to pray. So a meek heart is a student's heart. A meek heart wants to gain all that they can gain from the Lord. And so a meek heart is a teachable heart. Finally, a meek heart is, I couldn't find any other way to say this, so I said, a meek heart is a difficult-to-offend heart. Now let me ask you, are you difficult to offend? Is it hard for someone else to offend you? Does it, does it take huge measures before you will be offended? Or, or is it actually fairly easy for you to be dissatisfied and perhaps offended. See, someone who has a meek heart is, 
is going to be so overwhelmed with the grace that God has demonstrated in their hearts. They're so overwhelmed that other people have given grace while imperfectly they're going to be able to be difficult to offend. I want it to be a goal of mine that I'm very difficult to offend because I want to be meek. I want to be one who looks at the Lord and not other people. Let me, let me quote Martin Lloyd-Jones here. He, this is helpful. He says this, When a man truly sees himself, he knows nobody can say anything about him that is too bad. In other words, let me parentheses here. He's saying, like, if we truly understand who we are before the Lord, and when someone else points that out, points out a failure of ours, in one sense, we should be able to say, uh, that's not even the half of it. Because we know within our own hearts who we are. That is too bad. You need not worry about what men may say or do. You know you deserve it all and more. Once again, therefore, I would define meekness like this. The man who is truly meek is the one who is amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. That, it seems to me, is its essential quality. See, when we have the spirit of meekness in us, we will recognize that all of our life is of grace and to grace, that God has been merciful to us to forgive our sins, and then what we, when we receive mercy and grace from other people, it just amazes us. And so a, a, a meek heart is a heart that's going to be hard to offend. A meek heart doesn't take offense quickly. Let me bring it down even further. A meek heart is going to forgive their spouse regularly and quickly. I'm not suggesting that this is simple. I'm not saying that. I am saying that a meek heart is not going to be a heart that that is going going to seek to hold on to offenses and, and carry them along, but one that is postured and positioned toward grace. Amen? Grace. Because a meek heart recognizes that they've received grace. This influences our relationships with our spouses for those who are married. This influences our relationships with our brothers and sisters and our family. This influences our relationships in our church family with members in your care group when we can fail one another on occasion. True meekness will be displayed in our willingness and, in fact, increasing joy to forgive one another when they sin against us. Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So let me, let me close with this illustration. Jesus said to us, Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my Burden is light. So, so Jesus is speaking, as you know, to a very agrarian community. So he could, he could use an analogy that they would get and understand. What is a yoke? 
A yoke is, is a piece of wood that was put on an oxen that was perhaps plowing the field or doing something else. And yet they were, they were uh, connected to another oxen, perhaps maybe a younger one. But so that when they would, they would walk together and rather than have just the strength of one oxen, you could yoke these together. Literally, there was a piece of wood on their neck that was, that would connect them together so that there would be the blessing and benefit of two accomplishing the same goal. Jesus is saying by using that analogy, how do we grow in his likeness? He's saying, yoke yourself daily. Yoke yourself with me. Now, if we're believers, again, we are yoked to Christ. But there are days, is this not true for you, when I don't exactly feel like being yoked to Christ. I want to do my own thing. And he's saying, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke, hear it, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is what Jesus is calling us to. Taking our yoke, linking arms with Christ as we depend on the Holy Spirit to produce in us a meekness that looks like Christ. This is what he's calling us to. So, how do we become meek? We become meek by being born again and we walk in that meekness as the Holy Spirit produces in our hearts a poverty of spirit, a mourning over our sin, which produces the fruit of a meekness that is thankful Offended, a meekness that is quick to forgive, a meekness that is joyful, even in the midst of a hard thing, because we know who's in control. That's what Jesus is about as we think about this. So now, as we turn to a close, I want to ask you to stand. Would you stand with me? And I want to ask you, we don't do this often, but I just want to ask you to take a moment to pray now within your own heart, if there are any of those ways that the Lord was at work in your heart saying, yeah, that that may be, in fact, a measure of meekness. Um, I want to take a moment here while the band is getting set up to, to just pray and ask the Lord to do the deepened work of meekness in your heart. Is there anyone in this room who has arrived at the place called meekness? I don't think so. Jesus calls meekness blessed. If you're in the kingdom of God, you already are blessed. You have meekness. But he desires that we yoke ourselves again afresh to him. And by the Spirit's power, we walk in the meekness that he's provided for us. So I just want to take a moment, you silently before your Lord, just praying, asking him to help you with these things. Let's take a moment to pray together quietly before the Lord, just yourself.
Lord, we come to your word this morning and we recognize that we live in a culture that, that declares to us the very opposite of this message. We're not going to hear this in our day-to-day lives unless we're in your word. Everything about our culture celebrates the opposite of meekness. And yet you call true meekness, which is strength under control, as you demonstrated through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, and so we need your help and we desire to grow in this kind of biblical meekness. It's not being shy. It's not just covering over things and not ever having a real opinion or more importantly, a conviction. It's about carrying those things in a way that honors you and blesses our brothers and sisters and is a reflection of you. So Lord, we pray as we conclude now, Lord, build in us these things that you call blessed. Build in us, Lord, we pray, the sense of being poor in spirit. Build in us a mournfulness over our sins so that we can even with greater joy rejoice in the gospel. And Father, build in us a meekness that points others to Jesus Christ, that makes much of Him, and that celebrates the work of His grace in our lives. Lord, we need You. We trust You. We pray that you would do this in our hearts and in our lives. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.